0: one of those ideas that I take with me until today is the idea of the seasons of life, which I just mentioned briefly before. Sometimes I'm extremely productive for like three months. And then sometimes I'm not very productive, or at least it seems like on the surface level for like a month or something like that. And I think a lot of people guilt themselves into feeling terrible about it. I completely don't because I know that this is part of my life. And, and that makes also life interesting to actually experience different seasons of life.
1: Hi, it's Renchex, and welcome to my podcast. This episode first aired in mid-February. It's one of the early ones which we did live on Twitch. And we finally bring it out here for you in audio. We cover a lot of topics in this conversation. For me, the highlight was the discussion about success and strategies for success in poker and in business. But there's so much more here. And, as always, we have timestamps in the description to make it easier for you to jump around the topics if you want to. So, please enjoy this conversation with Jane Anders. And we're live. Hello, guys. Uh, exciting news. Toby has a new microphone.
2: Yes. Hello, hello. So, I'm not the robot anymore? Yeah. I mean, at least I hope so.
1: Well, last week you failed the Turing test. So, we had to give you an upgrade. And <laughs> now let's see if people get fooled.
2: I mean i kind of like my my new name like somebody in the chat wrote that i am ibot because toby backwards is ibot
1: yeah that was Uh, so so hilarious i remember that
2: i'm also a little sad about that and also what about our name i mean the our new name for the show was the dinosaur and the robot
1: yeah well that was one of the suggestions we have a bunch of suggestions and actually i should address Uh, that thing because uh you know some time ago i made this announcement that i'm i'm doing uh, a free one hour of coaching giveaway for three people so a lot of people went on and did what i asked them to do which was comment on one of the uh videos on youtube so they did it the deadline was till the end of january so it's all over and so yeah we're gonna do a raffle um sometime soon you know and I'm gonna announce who's getting the coaching etc etc and then we're gonna have to do some um, polls about the name of the show because there were so many great ideas, like really great ideas so I'm really looking forward to that anyway, another thing today our guest is gonna be Jane Anders super exciting because you know so many of you guys, asked for it you you wanted to see him on our show so we made it happen he's streaming right now on his channel and he's gonna wrap up in a few minutes and join us here um so yeah I mean this guy is an ultimate twitch presence I did play some over the weekend of course I I, like I did this unexpected commentary for the Galphon challenge that was um that was so much fun but i didn't know we we're gonna do six hours six hours of commentary man that was crazy like towards the end i couldn't couldn't speak anymore
2: yeah and also you were alone right were you the only commentator the,
1: no, no 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 uh brian was with me brian uh, pellegrino he was awesome you oh know, nice I, I did, nice i didn't know uh much about him before but Man, he was so great. Like, he really knew what he was doing. It was it was super fun to do it with him. Uh, I really enjoyed it, you know. And, like, if I was alone, that commentary thing would have been crap, I think, right? Because he really made it come all together, you know. He was asking questions and addressing some of the things that, for sure, the audience wanted to hear. And I could just focus on more sort of what's actually going on. Yeah, in the challenge what, what's what's going on a bit behind the scenes and you know what might be going through players minds and dig in a bit in their strategies and discuss some hands it was so much fun
2: so yeah you're, you're gonna do it again right
1: yeah i think so i think so i still haven't heard about the dates from them but i told them that you know i i'm game i'm i want to do it it was so much fun so uh, they want me to come on again as well so yeah it's gonna happen i just don't know when yet
2: so yeah off the bar saying that uh your analysis was solid and uh he wants to see you again oh thanks man but uh are you concerned about giving away too much because maybe you also want to play the challenge right
1: uh yeah
2: but I don't think
1: that it actually would hurt my you know, challenge in any way because it's not like I'm gonna give away my strategy, you know and uh, just because I discuss their strategy doesn't give much away so no, I'm actually really not concerned about giving away too much and funny that you should mention actually because uh, some people before the stream kind of explicitly told me try not to give away too much and I thought, well, how do I know how do I know what is too much and what is not? I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna do what I do. Hey, Jay Nanda's is raiding with a party of 450 people joining oh, our wow, stream. That's amazing! A lot. The Jay Nanda's army is coming.
2: Oh, wow. all right.
1: Yeah. Oh well. Well, the general is coming as well. He he told us that he's gonna be here joining our call in a few minutes. Hey. All right, guys, what are we going to talk about? <laughs>
0: Jaynandez oh, is hello. in the house.
1: Nice. So first of all, I hope the sound levels are going to be good uh, between all three of us. We didn't have time to test it. Um, and what are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about Jaynandez himself. Um, we're going to talk about the way you found your way basically right you're one of a very few poker players who made their poker career into something else made it into a business a quite successful one you know and you seem to be enjoying it a lot so that's something i definitely want to talk about Uh, i'm always trying to see different angles and find out new ideas from people who you know Kind of discovered something new in the industry, and for sure we're going to talk about Galphon Challenge as well today because that's one of the most exciting things that's going on right now in poker. So once again, Jane Andes, man, thanks for joining us. Um, I'm really looking forward to this one.
0: I'm excited. I've been watching uh, the podcasts on a regular basis on YouTube generally speaking, uh, because usually they. They go live when it's sort of dinner time on my end, but then i I do enjoy I do enjoy audio only content as well a lot, just because it's a little bit of a different dynamic. you know, people are uh, a little bit more focused on like even the guys that speak are a little bit more focused on what they're saying because you don't have to confront yourself with the camera, with the lighting, with with all things that go on when a camera is on your face. So I'm very excited. we also had Oria talk for about forty minutes, which I truly enjoyed uh, behind the scenes. One thing that I would suggest for today's podcast specifically is that as I'm raiding with a lot of guys that are coming over from the stream on my channel before, I think this is the perfect opportunity for you guys also to introduce yourself if that not already has happened and uh, let people know what you guys are all about.
1: Right. Actually, you see... Toby, again, we <laughs> from the first yeah. minute we have to realize that we're such fish in this, this streaming game. Jane, and has a point. We didn't even introduce ourselves. We were just well. We kind of did. We proved the point that we suck at making the audio work, uh, you know. But apart from that, apart from us being consistently technically impaired, uh, what we do here is we have this weekly podcast. Uh, where we talk about things we want to talk about, with people we want to talk with. And it's a free-form, long-form conversation. Uh, you guys in the chat can totally participate and uh, you know lead the conversation one, one way or another. And yeah, that's what we do. And of course, um, you are on the Bluff the Spot channel right now. Bluff the Spot uh, is a company that offers... Coaching, coaching for profit is our is our model. If you're in the holdem, into holdem, then you know MMA Sharedog, the legend, is our frontman there. And uh, he did a lot of great things for us lately with his course, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And for PLO, you know, if you want to get coached in PLO in CFP, then I'm your guy there. So that's pretty much the background. Of what we're doing here and toby i so, am afraid uh, that you're gonna be a bit low on the volume because you know you guys are different volume okay, with yeah. jane and so you're gonna have to speak up a bit i think
2: i think i can speak up a little yeah so uh, yeah we've been doing this podcast for about uh six weeks now and you know it's still pretty so, young
1: say what six weeks It's episode 13, man.
2: 13 already? Yes. I keep (laughs) getting six weeks. So, you know, it's always great to have a guest like this on board.
1: uh, Yeah.
2: Which uh, is like, is a professional and, uh, yeah, can uh, always give us some input and show us what to improve. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you guys don't know me, I, I've been playing poker for over a decade now. I started with uh, Hold'em and transitioned to PLO. And uh, especially also the, co- the the course of Chain uh, Analysis has helped me tremendously. Um, so yeah, I, I got to say I'm a, I'm a big fan of you and also your your online course and your website.
0: I appreciate that. I think we are all sort of, uh, it, seems, it sounds like we're all in the industry for a very long time. And uh, I talked to Ron Jux about it a few days ago. It's very interesting to see people that move from their 20s into their 30s into this, like, like the way they're transitioning as poker players itself. And it, it sort of reminds me about a video that I watched, God knows, like many, many years ago by Lefort. You guys know Lefort? Yes, yeah. Of, yeah, course. Yeah, of course. So LaFord was a high stakes PLO and also before that No Limit player specializing in in, in heads up PLO. And he was also making a few videos for one once. And he made one video where he talks about that most people in poker that, that perceive poker as a career or as a side job or as something like a serious hobby, they are very much focused on where they're at and they think about their circle as a very small circle for example i am a 6max plo player and i play on poker stars that's it and he was just bringing up the idea that you should realize that the poker universe is massive it's it's really big and there are a lot of different opportunities there's live poker there's online poker different variations there are different stakes there are different ambitions and that in order to actually have long term success and also long term progression and happiness you should think a lot about how you can expand uh, your horizon and also your circle of competence uh, within, within the poker industry. And that really uh, hit home with me at that time. It was many years ago when I started thinking about, well, I'm perceiving this poker career from this one angle of like playing the game, but also I do have other strengths and other interests as well. And maybe there is a way to actually combine all those things together and, and, and integrate that into my poker Experience and and I think that is especially important once you are reaching that five ten year mark where you look back and think well where I, where am I going to head in the next ten years for example if I still want to remain in poker and that sort of gave me the first initiative to say okay let's let's see what else is out there in the poker space and, and that's how I came to making videos myself and then sort of heading into content creation coaching and and just catering to my strengths within the same industry but from a different angle.
2: Yeah, that, that brings up a lot of questions. Um, first of all, was it hard when you uh, got started with the, with the coaching? And also, how do you see yourself today? Are you still a poker player? Or do you see yourself more like a business person or like a coach or like a, an influencer? I'm Jay
0: Nizzles. Chain. <laughs> the chain is yeah, that's, that's <laughs> it <laughs> that's a good question so when i was 20 years old i i already coached two so i played volleyball on like a pretty decent level because i am like 6'4. and i played volleyball for four years and i coached two teams for three years uh, while i was playing as well so when i was 20 years old i was coaching basically uh, players up to 16. So like 14 to 16 year olds. And that actually I was 19. And then I also coached the U21 team and played in the same team as well. And so at that point, I was coaching people that were like, anywhere between 14. And I would say 17 years old, 17, 18 years old, and I myself was 19, 20 years old. So early on, I sort of, I always had fun and, and found a lot of um pleasure and satisfaction from from helping other coaching other leading other people and that sort of then transitioned into poker because when i started playing poker first it was just all by myself but at some point i did find my way into a poker club in uh, switzerland and in there the poker industry was just like booming at this point in in the country and a lot of poker clubs were opening up and i and i actually made a sort of Transition, not necessarily a transition, but I added into my poker universe the dealing of cards. So I was also a dealer in the poker club and playing at the same time just to experience the game from a different angle. And I was suddenly coaching and training over 40 people to be a dealer themselves. So early on, you can see I was always interested in sort of leading other people or helping other people to make the best out of themselves. And that just naturally progressed as I became better and more competent in poker to a point where I realized, okay, I want to work with people one-on-one. And, and once I did that for... I coached people, like, I coached people in, in a one-year span. Like I coached around 100 people in a one-year span. And that just took so much out of me as far as exchange of energy goes. Because when you coach one person on a one-on-one basis, you are completely focused on the other individual. It's not like a back and forth road. And that took so much out of me that at some point I was like, all right, let's 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 find a way to make some videos as well. Because that takes less of an engagement with the individual person. But I always had the interest to share information and to, to think about how other people can find can find their pathway into success uh, with their own talents.
2: Yeah, I think the the problem with one-on-one coaching is that it's not scalable, right? So you're trading your time for money.
0: Look, that's actually a really good point to say that. I used to say that as well. And it's true. It's 100% factually true. One-on-one is one-on-one. There's no scale. But a lot of my best friends are actually 50 years old. And I mean, they're actually in better shape than me. So th- don't make that statement sort of <laughs> lead you to believe I'm, I'm talking about old people because we are all old. I mean, at some point, <laughs> but anyway, these guys are like 50. So what I'm saying is they have more wisdom. And when I tell, and they also run businesses. And when I tell them, hey, I have an idea, but it's not scalable. They always tell me, look, who cares if it's scalable or not? Why don't you just do something that you really enjoy and are really good at? You know, if it's scalable or not, like why does it really matter? If yes, if you do have the idea of I want to scale a business with a hundred or a thousand people in there, I want to make all the money in the world, or I want to change the world uh, by changing ten thousand people. Yes, you need to scale, but for most people, that's not even feasible, or also not even desirable because it wouldn't give them the same level of satisfaction. So sometimes, although poker players think very rationally about income hourly, because we are trained to do so we sometimes should look into the macro perspective like the universe and say, wait a moment, is money really the thing I'm trying to chase here or is it something else? So yes, it is not scalable, but maybe it doesn't even matter that much.
1: Right, because in the end of the day, not all businesses need to be scaled, right? Because if we think about you know, the one-on-one, coming back to that um, example, right? There is a time and a place for that there's going to be no substitution for a one-on-one coaching. Like if we think about, you know, somebody trying to really achieve something, let's say, let's make an example of, um, you know, a tennis player or a golf player, right? You need that one-on-one coach. Absolutely must have. And that coach is going to be only your coach. It's really not scalable, but the question is, how much does that venture generate for the couple, right? That's, that's all there is. I mean, not everything needs to be scaled.
0: Absolutely. And the guy that has a, someone who, if, if you ask the audience, would you rather be the personal coach of Roger Federer or would you rather be someone who has a video product on how to learn tennis? You know, opinions are going to differ. Some people would prefer the one and some people the other. And I think that's completely okay and shouldn't be too strongly connected to how much you make, what your hourly is. Most likely, if you do a good job in either direction or either, either profession, you're going to have a good life, you know, like you're going to be fine. But, but what I see here as a specific sort of threat or danger point is that if you choose one side based on the salary, then you might neglect your talents. And then you will not only not find satisfaction, but you also might not even be successful. Because if you put a person that is actually a really good coach, has a lot of empathy for people, understands how they think, enjoys also making an individual better and being that close to someone that then goes into business because he heard somewhere that scaling is more profitable, maybe he will not be successful because his biggest asset, which is the empathy to individuals and actually coaching someone on a very close basis is not employable in this new direction and suddenly he's sort of trapped and and not really where he should be when it comes to maximizing his potential and also finding fulfillment
1: oh absolutely and that's something we talked about i think um two weeks ago on the show that how important it is to wherever you go whatever venture you you go into you have to go in there not because of the money, but because you actually want to do it. Because whatever you're going to do, if you want to achieve, it's going to be hard work. Regardless of what is the thing you're doing, it's hard work. Everything is hard work to get it to the high level. right? But as long as you enjoy the work, it's kind of fine. Nobody's complaining about hard work when they actually love every day that they spend doing it.
0: A hundred percent. I think the perception of success is just too one-dimensional. Like, what Like, is success? Oftentimes, people are trying to put into a frame because they're trying to sell you success. And it's much easier to sell success if you pack it into a very specific frame. For example, if I tell you, you know what success is? It is making a lot of money playing PLO. And that's why you should buy my course. Like, That's a very small frame and if i can if i can make you believe that that this is success and this is going to make you happy then i can i can sell more of my product but the reality is that success and happiness is not one dimensional like it is has way more to do um with things outside of money uh than just like how much like how much you make is 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 sort of important to the bottom line of your happiness to a certain degree but there are way many many more layers that come to that come into the equation when you're trying to maximize your happiness happiness and enjoyment in life. But it's hard to sell something really complex because most of the things that will make you happy, you can't buy them from someone else. So no one is really advertising it.
1: Oh, yeah, that's such a great uh, point. And you know what? I also want to mention one thing that we discussed with you when we had our call uh, off off record, I want to say not because there was something we discussed that is off record. We just didn't record it. That's what I mean. But uh, I found it super interesting when you said because you know I told you about how I'm fascinated by the way how you transitioned from from just being a poker player and you found your passion and you wanted to something else and made a business out of it and how you described um, that you know at some point you realized. That Okay, these are my strengths. These are the things that I want to do. These are the things that I love. And you found a way to combine it all together into this, this small it's small package, right? Which makes you special, right? Because let's face it, there, there are thousands of poker players out there. Thousands of successful poker players out there. But there's only one you. A guy who is a successful poker player who creates this content which is in a way unique, and you sell it to the public, and you are very active in involving the community, making the game of PLO more popular, there's just one you.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that is because, I mean, when you say there's only one you, I think what what you're saying is like everyone is individually different and unique, not like not me necessarily just by myself, but also everyone is sort of unique. And and I think what people are trying to do is they're trying to actually uniform themselves by just following a certain prescription of, again, success, a certain frame that is, that they heard about or seen somewhere else. But what I realized in poker, which is what you're referring to, is that my poker talent, my poker scale, my understanding of the game goes up to a certain cap, you know, like I can get, this good and i'm in the game for 15 years i do know that there are people that just have more talent and they have just more interest uh, more talent more intelligence in that specific in the specific sections that will make them be extremely good at the game but i can also bring other things to the table and then build an intersection of those different talents and i can say all right i'm like what my strong suits are leadership, making other betters, coaching people, empathy, and then there's poker which is something that I've trained myself in. It's something that doesn't come natural to me. But if I do find the intersection of those different talents and the skill that I've uh, accumulated over the last 10 years, then I actually come to a I come come to an intersection that is unique because no one really built it that way. And and that makes that makes certain people unique but also sort of puts them out of competition with others, because you're at a very specific point, you're positioning yourself in the market in a very specific uh, point where no one else really goes, because it requires them to combine a few things together that maybe they're missing one of the elements and they will land somewhere else. And I think the sort of the roadmap to success is to figure out what are your talents and how can you combine them in a way that makes you unique and puts you out of competition with anyone else.
2: I uh, have to say that I really appreciate the the honesty. I mean, you're saying you're just not interested enough to reach the top, to get to the very top. So that's uh, why you also wanted to build a business. And uh, I'm not sure if you agree, but I always felt like the main strength of your course is that you break everything down and you... Uh, do it in a really structured way, and that's that's what I think uh, is is really uh, good about your course.
0: That's another thing, also. Like, that's uh, a really good point you're touching on because it's absolutely not a tal- It's not a talent necessarily. To like, I'm pretty I'm pretty good at teaching, but when it comes to creating a frame of coaching someone in a video, so video format, one thing to realize is that when you compare something like any other course, any other content creator out there that makes videos. It's just the sheer quantity, just a repetition that someone puts in that is going to set them apart. Which means in the last two to three years, I've produced over 1000 coaching videos. Like that's all offset, like that's not part of YouTube. Not. not I'm not talking about Twitch. I just talk about individual coaching videos. I made over 1000 coaching videos. That means 1000 times I was thinking about what should I say in the video? What presentation should I use? What research do I need to do? How long should the video be? What is the audio quality of the video? Should I be in the frame? Should I not be in the frame? Who is it catering to? You know, And when you just go through these repetitions a thousand times, you suddenly start realizing, okay, this is good. This is bad. Uh, you start to become more fluid when it comes to the way you teach and talk. You get a lot of feedback as well um, from people what they appreciate about certain certain videos and what they don't appreciate. You also get some data points. I have a lot of data points on which videos are very popular uh, within the mastermind on YouTube, which videos have a high retention rate, low retention rate, uh, have a lot of likes, don't have as much likes. And through all this data and all the repetitions, you again, set yourself apart because it's very hard for someone who has created, let's say 50 coaching videos to compete with someone who has done a thousand. It's just sheer repetition. It's not talent. It's just like the repetitions, the work that goes in over years that is going to set you apart, essentially.
1: Yeah, that's a a great point. And and it applies to basically any endeavor. You know, just constantly doing the work sort of thing makes you become who who you are. And it applies as a poker player. You know, you, you also the same thing. At one point... You either keep improving and keep iterating, or you don't. Or you don't grow, right? Because the key thing that you've mentioned there—you have all these data points. You have, you know, how many likes. You you have the feedback uh, from the audience. You you try to see what works and what doesn't. And for a poker player who's trying to improve, a lot of poker players just sort of do the same thing over and over again without trying to find ways, trying to find data to figure out what's wrong, where they need to work on, and they somehow expect different results.
0: A hundred percent. I think the the strongest environment that you can build, and that is really why I appreciate the close friends of mine who are way older than me, is you need to find people that can disagree with you, but still respect you and and, and like you, but they can disagree because they don't, think you are this like unquestionable, untouchable figure, but they are going to say that, you know, listen, I think you're wrong on this one. And that's what I appreciate about Fabian, who is the co-host of the Phil Galfond recap days that we have. He's extremely real. And he is the number one person when it comes to people who actually disagrees with what I say. Like I could say something and be like, Yeah, that sounded pretty well to my ears. And he's like, Yeah, I think I I think you're wrong. And I in the moment that hits me and I'm like, oh i'm getting nervous because he's gonna he's gonna like point out to everyone like how wrong i am but then in hindsight i'm getting way better this way if, if, in, in instead of someone who just say like yeah yeah that sounds good you're right you're right like that's just it's just extremely appreciated by my end to have friends close friends that can disagree and uh and although they respect my opinion they are enough competent and confident to also go a different route and bring up good reasons for it
1: right yeah i, I always love this as well like an honest feedback a feedback that actually allows you to improve because you know just hearing over and over again what you do right it's not gonna get get it's not going to get you anywhere but you know that one time when somebody actually points out something you need to improve that's great and another thing you know you you mentioned that sometimes you just think oh shit, you know i it, it's gonna look like i'm wrong about something And to be honest, there is no problem at being wrong. It's okay to make mistakes, we all do, right? And there is a sort of misconception that some people have that if we make a simple example of poker, uh, you know, there's this perception that the best players don't make mistakes, which is nonsense. Everybody makes mistakes. The best players make fewer mistakes, but they do make mistakes. So in the Phil
0: Galphon challenge, let's go back to this one, because it's a a sort of a recent thing, obviously, like Phil's losing and people get really upset about it. And I think the reason they get upset about it, I think it's more of subconsciously, but it's because they don't want their perception of someone they look up to, to be incorrect. It's like, wait a moment. I thought Phil has this. I think Phil is an amazing poker player. But now it looks like he's losing against another player, which is completely like, that's the reality of poker. Like some people are better, some people are worse. It doesn't mean at all that uh, it takes it, nothing away from Phil. But the only thing that takes away is the perception people have of this like perfect figure, which cannot be wrong, cannot make mistakes. And that makes them angry and upset because they thought this guy is perfect or or this guy makes no mistakes. And when they see there are potentially some mistakes, they, uh, they they are upset because their worldview changes. And that's something a lot of people are very uncomfortable with.
1: Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. And what do you think actually about what's going on in the Galphon Challenge?
0: I think that he's running bad, but I also think he's an underdog to Vaney. I have seen a good amount of hints, but also I could be wrong. Like it's... I'm not on that level of heads up PLO at all, but I do look at showdowns and it just looks like Manny has the upper hand when it comes to making the right hero calls, potentially getting away with the right bluffs. We don't know because we don't see those whole cards, but Phil has been playing pretty loose overall pre-flop and post-flop. He has been pulling the trigger in spots that were questionable in the bigger picture. So what I mean by that is you can you can bluff in certain spots, but if you just do it over and over again, you are getting to a point where your image looks looks a certain way and then your opponent will start adjusting and I think this is what we what we start seeing relatively early on in the challenge because Phil was actually Uh, Holding a very strong red line, which is a non-showdown winning line in the first, I think, 1,500 hands or so, which is about three days of action. And then suddenly it dropped quite a bit. And I think it is because Vaney it's one of the reasons is because apart from variance is that Vaney saw how much chips or money Phil is putting in on the later streets and started to call or slow play on earlier streets in order to actually show up with good hands when Phil is willing to commit a lot of chips and it sort of backfired. Right.
2: So uh, when you follow the challenge, are you also still motivated to maybe jump in? And uh, what's Into the like challenge or in Heads Up uh, Yellow? I mean, both, but uh, I was talking about the challenge.
0: That's the thing. Like uh, before the first match, no one really know, knew, right? Like how, well, first of all, Phil's level of, uh, of heads up play, or also how, how the challenge generally unfolds. Obviously, when Phil is behind a lot in the first challenge, he will not be on the same confidence level. It's just impossible as if he would just completely crush Vaney and then just come out of it like that. But there was no point at all where I ever regret to not take uh, the challenge because one thing that I was very surprised by, and I don't even, I don't even know why, but I was actually really surprised by, it, is like how judgmental uh, Twitch chat really is. Because once Phil starts losing you know a few days in a row or like now the first 10 11 days in a row a lot of guys are like extremely mean in the chat and and I for some time I believe that it's just you know me I, I sometimes get also some mean comments it's not the majority of people but it's like some and um, but apparently again when some top player or some player that is better than you know the average twitch chat user sort of gets felted or something like that people just go after it. And the pressure that Phil is um, facing right now from the general audience, people that are watching, thousands of people, uh, is not something I'm envious for. And I, I, I know 100% that if I would play him and I would be streaming this and I would be behind a few hundred thousand dollars, I would get the same comments. And I just don't, I don't, I mean, I don't want those comments. Um, it's part of the challenge, of course, but I'm, I definitely don't, uh, I wouldn't enjoy that sort of pressure um, when it comes to when it comes to poker, which is a game where you have to be ultra focused and on top of your game. And this stuff just messes up your mind, you know?
2: I think it's it's surprising to me because I feel like you put yourself out there a lot and I feel like you should be able to uh, deal with it. N- not because it's, you know, it's a pleasure, but I think it's something you are getting used to. And I feel like uh, you have a lot of videos out there You streamed a lot and I think like every time there's some nasty comments in there. Yeah. Do you think that's worse because it's a challenge? Yeah, but Toby, I
1: think an important part here to remember is that, you know, the way you deal with nasty shit or the way you deal with anything, you might walk away from things for a day, clear your mind. You can't do it with this challenge. That's what's so scary about this challenge. You have to play five days a week. You can be absolutely destroyed. Weeks. You, you yeah, can For 50,000 hands as well, right? Yeah, 50,000 hands. You can be absolutely crushed one day, humiliated in the chat, feeling pretty bad, but you have to wake up in the morning and you go back at it. And there's no way out. I think what's interesting about this challenge is that you know, it's sort of like if we compare it to previous challenges, like the Dirt Challenge, uh, they were quite public. They were, you know, people were following, but the times were different. Now with the Twitch, with Twitter, with all the social media, it's a bit more like, you know, when we compare, let's say, football players, Premier League, uh, some 30 years ago, and now, big part of being a professional football player is actually being able to manage the pressure of of the media of the fans. And that's I think none of the poker players or at least none of the cash game players are really used to this sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and it's not it's also not coming natural. Like poker players, especially online poker players, they enjoy anonymity. And I think you know the the so what I realized is I'm also traveling sometimes to different poker venues. And a lot of people know who I am, but that doesn't mean that they are fans. It doesn't mean that they're like, hey, this is Janis, it's amazing. But every like almost everyone knows who I am. And that's also very uncomfortable, you know? And if you step into a challenge like this and you are a public figure and people know who you are, it means that if you get felted and you and you show up at let's say the next WSOP or like a, an event at Kings or wherever, everyone knows. Oh, this is the guy that got crushed in the heads-up game. And yeah, I can I can deal with it. I, I dealt with it in the last few years with uh, with all sorts of different um, controversies around me. But it's not pleasant. Like it's not pleasant. And if if I can avoid it, I, I'd rather do so. And as much, like, I think the the downside of being the guy that got crushed and shows up to these events versus the guy that actually crushed and won is like the downside is like way bigger. So it's like, I'm not very comfortable if I'm getting like, I'm not very comfortable in general, getting like recognized or something like that on a poker venue. I, I understand where people are coming from and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not upset or anything about it. But when you stream on Twitch, you are in your room alone. That's it. Like you can control things pretty well. But in public, it's, it's very different. So as someone points out in the chat, Vaney has a big advantage because he is unknown. And it doesn't matter what results out of this challenge. Most people will never know how he looks. And they will never know it's that guy on any venue that got crushed or crushed. And that's a huge advantage in today's day and age. Because as you say, the media is going to criticize you. The people are going to criticize you. And uh, you're going to have a big tag on your forehead about the result of this challenge for the next couple of years
1: oh yeah absolutely yeah and even though venny is of course not gonna face these problems you know in the public but even he definitely feels you know all this media presence which is surrounded by the challenge at the moment right because of course he's also following what's going on and uh so it's interesting, you know, it's, it's I think it's the first time where, at least for the cash game players, you actually face something that professional sports people are facing every day uh, in their careers nowadays. And somebody mentioned like Conor McGregor, for example, before his fight or after losing a fight and what he has to deal with, uh, you know, and... And even thinking like there's, there's a very interesting boxing match coming up, um, you know, Fury uh, Wilder um, rematch. There's so much publicity. Like, if you think about it, this match is going to be 12 rounds, maybe, maybe less, hopefully less. But for like six months, these guys are publicly, nonstop promoting, uh, being in the public side. It's crazy you know, how things have changed.
0: Absolutely. And again, these guys, they walk away with a a lot of upside financially, no matter what. But um, that doesn't, that's not true for the challenge, you know. I I think it's incredibly, I would find it incredibly difficult in Phil's shoes specifically because he wants to promote the challenge. He wants to give people information about you know how is it going at the moment, and, and what are what are the standings, and when are they going to play again? How long are they going to play? He's obviously trying to make this as big as possible, but at the same time, being just losing every single day and losing hundreds of thousands of euros is such a tough spot to be in. To wake up and feel pumped and be like, "Yes, I'm pumped! I'm going to put out this Twitter post of my graph, and it's it's going to be like minus 500k," um, which is which is possible in terms of the swings, but it's like the perception of it and being the person that needs to hype it up. It's such a tough spot to be in and it's part of what makes this challenge so um, in some way unpredictable, but also it makes it a very high pressure moment for Phil, which we realize now because this is the first challenge out of six. And if it continues this way, this, this pressure will build up and build up over time. So it's a, it, it's a high pressure
1: moment or spot in the next six months for sure. Oh, yeah. And I'm a bit surprised actually by, by um, it looks like he wasn't as prepared as most people gave him credit for, which uh, really is, is is very interesting, especially from the perspective that he now has to face it publicly, as you said. Now He needs to keep posting his results, he needs to be open about all of that. And in the back of his mind, I mean, he always maintained that he's one of the strongest poker players mentally or his mental game is super, super strong. And it definitely is. But even the strongest guy has to feel some pain when he realizes that, you know, in some situations he's just outmatched. It's also different to be mentally
0: strong about poker swings comparatively to social media banter. You know, like you can rationalize and understand your poker swings just by yourself. And over the last 15 years, Phil has learned to deal with that. I have no idea how he deals with the media pressure because that's something completely, that's a different type of pressure than just looking at your own results and being like, all right, this is variance, or all right, I'm an underdog, I need to improve my game. Just doing that by yourself is is way different as far as the way it affects your mindset comparatively with, all right, my game is maybe not on point, But everyone knows and is sort of dragging it into the mud.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of viewers also don't really understand how big a deal variance is and that that makes it even harder. And I think you even talked about that in, in one of your YouTube videos.
0: Variance is something that is always underestimated, for sure. That's why I wanted to do the recaps. It's one of the reasons because I think that it's very hard to be objective about the quality of their game if you don't really look at the showdowns and and look at a lot of showdowns over many, many days and then make yourself or or give yourself a better idea of who is potentially outmatched or who plays different. Because these two players, they don't play that similar when it comes to their strategies. They play quite different.
1: Yeah, and the whole approach is different, you know, in in terms of how they study, in terms of how they see the game, uh, which is fine, you know, because even from the regulars and the high stakes, you see almost as many strategies as there are players. So it's just part of the game.
0: Absolutely. And also at this point, it doesn't make too much sense to deviate anymore from what you know because it's all about performance like now like studying now is basically too late like you got to be rested you got to be focused you got to execute what you know and more like there's not much room much more room for more than that because they're playing five days a week you know twenty five thousand hands it's you cannot make huge jumps when it comes to the quality
1: of your game anymore at this point Right. Well, that being said, still, I'm sure both camps are definitely working hard on analyzing what's happening and trying to find exploits and uh, counter the exploits at the same time. But that, of course, doesn't mean that they can at this point drastically change their their general strategy because it's too difficult. You don't really have enough time. Right. So you're right that, you know, basically it's a bit too late to study now.
0: Well, a lot of people have been saying that Vaney is playing this sort of robotic um, solver-based style, which is not focused on exploitation. What is your take on that? Do you think that he plays just like, um, do you think he plays like some strategy that doesn't really take Phil's tendencies into account?
1: Oh, no, I don't, I don't think so at all. I think what's happening here is he has very strong underlying understanding of his strategy. His strategy is well-founded, well-rounded. Uh, Of course, he did a lot of work uh, with the solvers leading up to this. But you can totally see how he adapts to Phil's tendencies. You've mentioned yourself that, you know, for the first few days, the red line of Phil was quite crazy. And Venny found a way to counter it. And, um, you know, so far, Phil is struggling to adapt to these things. So Venny is very much playing the player while still using a very... Sound strategy as the basis of his play? I would 100% agree. I think it's ridiculous to assume that a player of this
0: caliber is just like trying to execute some robotic strategy and is not really thinking hard and deep about his opponent. It is just, as it's sort of a misunderstanding that people have with GTO, they just think if you play GTO, there's no room for exploits. You're just trying to memorize some sort of strategy and just play blindly or whatever, which is completely not true.
1: Right. Especially when we talk about PLO. Like, really, people need to get a grip that GTO is not something that we actually see in PLO at the moment. Nobody plays GTO. It's not humanly possible. And even, to be honest, the solvers are not really that close to GTO. And yeah. even if they were, the game's too complex. And, you know, memorization is, is futile here. You can't hope to memorize strategies what you need to do is to find the underlying concepts to understand the reasons behind certain plays which solvers do or don't do and try to make your own strategy based on that and i think that's what we see with venny it's it's clear that his game is fundamentally really sound like he doesn't show up with some hands that are hard to understand on the river it's like every showdown that i've seen and the six hours that i was commentating the challenge i haven't seen a single showdown where you would be scratching your head and thinking all right venny what are you doing here yeah whereas with phil you know we saw a couple of those which are you know you can argue whether those were big mistakes or not but still at least they were quite questionable
0: I, I couldn't agree more. And and I think also just to make clear, I don't know in person very much, like barely. I know Phil better and I'm also friends with Phil, but those are two different things. Like We're just talking about two strategies that are in play. And I think what a lot of people, uh, specifically when it comes to this challenge, sort of mixed together is... This is not a personal attack. We just talk about, hey, who plays what kind of strategy and who has probably the upper hand. It's just about poker strategy. It has nothing to do with uh, personal sympathy uh, or, or who is the, the, the nicer guy or whatever. I mean, most likely Phil is going to be the nicer guy because who can really compete right there. But uh, again, those are two separate things that don't, they shouldn't be confused basically.
1: Yeah, good point.
2: So, I, got, I have a question for you guys. So, uh, we all agree that there's still a huge gap between real GTO and the way people play nowadays. And so, what do you think? Where can, where can you still gain an edge? Um, and also, maybe like on the really top tier players, where do you think you can still uh, gain an edge? And also for like mid six players or small six players. I got
1: my own theory, but I want to listen to your theory first. All right. Jan Anders, do you want to go first? I am trying to solve (laughs) one technical issue here. (laughs) All right. I'm out of position, guys. You
0: realize, right? (laughs) All right. (laughs) Got to ask first. So. um, Let's think about this. How can you generate an edge? I think people are still making plenty of mistakes. And and I think the reason is because I would say that the solver can really be a big help if you do approach it from a a conceptual standpoint, which is it doesn't really matter what one hand is going to do. The only thing that matters is why is it doing what it's doing. And that's a very foreign question for people who don't really understand solvers that well, because that The solver has no reasons like a human, of course, but there are patterns and there are certain principles like equity, realization, stack to pod ratio, position, and those variables, they are influencing basically uh, every single hand. And those are the under, like they build and influence the underlying principles, essentially. So I think that a lot of people, they either don't work with a solver and they are using a strategy they have seen other players play or they think historically has worked well for them. And I think they're going to reach their cap relatively soon just because I personally find it difficult to improve further up to a certain point if you don't work with a solver. And then on the other side, there are people that are using solvers but are not really... Uh, approaching it from that conceptual side. And they are just trying to mimic what a solver is doing without understanding the reasons for it. And they will also reach their cap pretty soon, or already did, <clears throat> or make a lot of mistakes right now that are just based on the solver. So I think at the end of the day, it all comes out. It all comes down to understanding what these principles are on which the game is built on. And you can do that with and without a solver. I would to say it goes faster with a solver and then understanding how people don't apply these principles in their own game and exploit them. So the end goal is still exploitation but the way to get there is by understanding these principles first.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with everything uh, you said and also I really liked your, your reasoning. So uh, what I've been thinking about is that I feel like PLO is two or three years behind uh, No Limit Hold'em. Um, you know, not because players are not that smart or anything, but it's more because, like, the game is just more complex. And even the solvers, they, they have to simplify even more. So uh, I think if uh, when poker progresses, and especially PLO, there's going to be more and more different bet sizes and more mixing and... uh
1: also, more, rain, uh, more uh, rain splitting. Right, and Toby. By the way, I noticed. I think you leaned at one point towards your microphone, and uh, the sound was better. Maybe that's the trick.
2: Oh, okay. So <laughs> Actually, how's the no, but now?
1: really, now the sound is perfect. <laughs> Where um, so were you we're... sitting last last week? You were sitting in a barrel with a Robo uh, voice. <laughs> <laughs> now you were just. <laughs> This is perfect now. Anyway, this I, is I perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. perfect. Jesus man, I've spent like half an hour trying to go into the settings and here and there. <laughs> it turns out you just need to lean. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So I'm how, sorry for that. How do you find an edge? Another uh thing that I want to add, and by the way, I completely agree I agree with the, everything that both of you guys uh said in this regard. And I think like if we just step back a bit from the specifics of poker and think about how do you gain an edge in a competitive environment anyway, finding a way of improving practically is so important because the one problem with um, improving in poker is that a lot of people fool themselves into thinking that they're improving just because they repetitively play hands, right? And I always maintain that playing hands alone is is not really getting you anywhere. The true way to improve at any skill is focused practice. You need to practice, but you also need feedback from your practice, but you don't really get the feedback from just playing or reviewing your hands. So Solver is a great mechanism for getting this feedback. Right, or, or let's say a coach or, or a poker friend. These are all mechanisms for getting the feedback. And it's so important to ask the right questions to yourself when you're trying to improve, when you're trying to learn something. Because I see so many people invest a lot of time in studies, but they sort of study the wrong thing or the thing that is actually not generating um, the most... What should I say? Well, the most efficient results, let's put it this way. So the way to generate the, the biggest edge, in the end of the day, it's by improving, constantly improving, but the way you improve is so hugely important. So I think if we look at the people who achieved longevity and consistently outperform their fields, these are usually the people who found ways to consistently improve, right? And as Jane Anders was saying, at some point, everybody reaches their cap. Everybody reaches the sort of ceiling. And the question I suppose is, what do you do to overcome the ceiling, right? Because sometimes you reach a point where your existing tools and existing environment, existing team is not sufficient. And you need to make, make a step and try to find, uh, you know, that little push forward. I, I think that
0: the, um, the quintessence of that is you need to slow it down, essentially. Like the playing part, I completely agree. It's just not going to get you very far. And when you think about the volume that most low-end low mid-stakes players are putting in, it is very obvious that these guys are not putting a lot of time into their game away from the table because otherwise you couldn't put together this this sort of volume. You can see it on the leaderboards in Party Poker, for example. A lot of the guys they just play every single day, eight to ten hours, and they're not going to get much better doing that. Like they will get a better intuitive feeling of how the meta is 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 working right now in this very in this very environment, but they will have no chance against someone who is playing selectively, less tables. And is putting some time into the game. And in like six months or so, they're going to outperform all the high volume players very easily, especially with the, with the tools that you have at hand these days. And, and one thing that I want to touch on as well is that these days, thinking deep, like taking time, slowing it down and not multitasking is something that's very rare. Because uh, you will see a lot of players when they play poker, they do like 10 things at a time. They play... Too many tables. They watch a movie on the side uh, when they have an, a conversation. They, you know, have their phone to their hands or so they just multitask and don't really focus on one thing at a time. And it's sort of a, it's a little bit of a, you know, common theme these days with all the social media and all the electronics and whatnot. And I think it's one of the biggest dangers to poker players because it's a very complex game and you you need all your brain power to really execute at the top of the level. And that is not only true for playing, but also for improving. So by looking at one hand and putting all options out there and say like, Okay, let's go to a moment. What size sizings could we use? And how did we find the answer? And who can I bounce ideas with? Like you cannot do any of those things in the moment, but only away from the table. And given how social media works and how much content is out there, how much distraction is out there... It will become more and more difficult for individuals these days to actually just focus on one thing at a time. And if we talk about generating an edge these days, it is the people that can actually step away and focus only on one thing at a time, improve their game step by step away from
1: the table that will at the end of the day come out on top. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I want to jump in before I forget. Uh, Ponyball in the chat is mentioning that uh, the book... Peak by Ericsson is an interesting book. It's a wonderful book. Everybody should read it. I highly, highly recommend Peak by Anders or Andreas. Uh, no, Anders Ericsson. Yeah, Ponyball actually I wrote it. Yeah, Anders Ericsson. Amazing book. It and it actually talks about the thing that I was talking about earlier—the deliberate practice—and um, it's a great read. And it might uh, open eyes to some of you there. So go out and get it. Anyway, let's get back to the Galphon challenge for a bit because we kind of glossed over a point. Uh, Jane Anders mentioned that you guys uh, are doing a daily highlight recap of the challenge. Um, tell us more about it. Absolutely. So when I think about the challenge, the, the first thing that
0: came to my eyes on day number one was this, like, in terms of content, there was an overkill, like multiple people were commenting on the first day, like commenting on the action in real time. And the first thing in my mind was, all right, like, um, I shouldn't cover this because it's an overkill. Everyone is already talking about it, Everyone content around it, that's going to be great for PLO, it's going to be great for run at once, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But then it really slowed down very quick. And it came basically to the to the streams. and. What I realized with the streams is that there are thousands of people watching the stream. And those are not people that generally are in the PLO lobby. Those are players who are in the poker lobby, but they're not in the PLO lobby. They don't know, play, or have an interest for PLO, but now, now they do. And if you have three to 4,000 congruent viewers at this very moment, it means that there are around ten to 20,000 people watching this challenge on Twitch, like individual unique viewers. That is a massive amount of people that at the moment are not tuning into my stream, for example, mostly because they don't even know and are not even interested in PLO. So it's a really big chance for PLO to become bigger and become a bigger spot on Twitch and also at the tables. And so therefore, I realized, okay, we need to really um, give these guys that are new to PLO as well and have now the interest to potentially join more content to actually understand how the game works and uh, and also slow it down because in the in in the in the challenge the hands unfold really quick and there's no replayer and it's very hard to actually talk about the hands because you see them at showdown for a second but then the board disappears and the whole cards disappear and it's even difficult for me as a professional plo player to remember the entire hand and and how the whole action went down while simultaneously looking at two new hands that are popping up but for someone who just gets started in PLO, it seems impossible to follow on the action. <clears throat> so I realized, okay, we need to jump on this opportunity and we need to create a great format around it in order to push the game of PLO. And that's why we are doing now the daily recaps, which means we take the footage that just unfolds for four to five to six hours and we mark out all the interesting hints and then review it in a in a format where we are two guys. At the moment it is myself and Fabian, and we are basically slowing down the most interesting hints. And we talk about what are the strategies in play here? Why is one player bluffing here? Why does it make sense to call here? Why is ten nine six four uh, double suited to bet, which we saw yesterday, for example, by Vaney. And uh, give people a little bit more input into how the game actually works, because we really hope that a lot of guys that don't play PLO find, find their way into the game. And we want to give them a little bit of support.
1: Right. That's a great idea that you guys had. And, uh, you know, you're exactly right about this is a great opportunity for PLO as a game to sort of reignite the popularity or, or definitely at least increase the interest in the game and hopefully turn some people into the great game.
0: Absolutely.
2: So yeah, I also think. Part of being a poker player is seeing trends early. And I don't know what you guys uh, think, but I think the popularity of uh, PLO is growing and growing. And No Limit Hold'em is just not that fun. And I can also imagine that five card PLO is getting more and more popular.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if I... My, I don't know, man. It's it's hard to say. I I think PLO is it really growing in terms of popularity? I think the whole sort of population of players playing slightly decreased. I think so. I mean, I'm I'm not very good at this because I don't really know all the sites that out there that are out there. I just know the the main ones where I play. Uh, and I'm only interested at the higher stakes, so I don't really see what's going on uh, in the lower pools. But I'm not really sure that PLO is growing. It might be growing in in terms of, like, relative to Hold'em. But, um, yeah, or, like, five-card PLO or the other games. I mean, they're gaining popularity in a niche, but... We've seen it over and over again. Like at one point, do seven triple draw became hugely popular and then sort of dwindled away. And at one point, stud games were the you know the main games years back. Then it went away. Now, obviously, all the mixed games are super popular and basically the go-to for all the highest stakes. So there's always this transition. Um, I don't think any. Any game is gonna kind of stay on top forever. right? So as we've already discussed like basically it's so important for a poker player to remain flexible and, and sort of find um, find your niche, but stay flexible. like keep a, keep an eye out on what's out what's out there because in the end of the day, you need to find a good game. A game where you have an edge, the game where the field is is softer, and that's always going to be the challenge. Absolutely, you got to you got to stay adaptable
0: for sure, especially in the in the poker industry. I do see a, an increase in trend when it comes to the live games. Like uh, three years ago, when I went to the WSOP, there was a, I think there were two games in the area running in terms of PLO cash game, and then one year later, it was like six games and. And uh, I think last year, it was almost the main game that was running at Aria when it comes to cash games. So there is some increase, but especially in live games online, it seems to be relatively stable as far as, as I can tell. What I do know is that there are some off markets that um, are not as visible, like there are the app markets, for example. So like these poker apps and on these poker apps, five card PLO is extremely popular. It is actually uh, the main game of choice. I haven't been grinding these games, but I do know that they are very, very popular in countries such as Brazil, for example, And then there are also uh, other markets that are coming closer and closer to our markets, for example, the Indian market, where also PLO is the main game. So India obviously has a, a lot of people, and they are mainly interested in the great game, apparently. So if you see, there are actually some native sites in India where you can only play if you are in India, and they play primarily park limit Omaha. So there are some trends coming essentially, and but especially on party poker and poker stars, these trends have not been as visible, I would
1: say. Right. But, and also like the, the point you made about the live games, I completely skipped the live games point and you're absolutely right. The live game popularity of PLO is hugely increasing because of course the game lends itself to live poker you play way more hands uh on average so the games are more fun there are more showdowns bigger pots and the variance is bigger and for a lot of live players especially the recreational players that's why they're there for they they want some action they want to have some fun Uh, plo games live they're just way more fun
0: there are way more spots in live plo where you don't have to stare down your opponent in order to make a call down but it's just all in on the flop Let's sweat it. Let's have fun. Let's play the game. And No Limit Hold'em, especially No Limit Hold'em cash games, they definitely lost a lot of popularity in the live circuit. Uh, These days, it's basically when you go to an EPT, when you go to even to some extent the WSOP or an event at the Kings, it's going to be you play either the tournament, which is usually No Limit, or you play PLO cash. Like Those are the main things that are popular in the live circuits. Yeah. Also, on a side note, the King's Casino did actually have now two series of uh, PLO-only events. So there was the Big Rap 1, which was last year, and Big Rap 2 just ended a few days ago. And those are PLO-only or PLO-exclusive festivals. And that also shows that in the live circuit, more and more people are interested
1: in playing Platinum in Omaha. Oh, that's cool. I didn't even know they, they did it. I'm, yeah, King's Casino seemed to be doing a lot of interesting things lately their marketing is definitely working over time there
2: they have a lot of people showing up for sure yeah they are also live streaming a PLO game from time to time have you ever been on the live stream
0: i played i played one of the games uh one time there was like a 5100 game that was running i wasn't really i was actually there for a different reason because there were like some tournaments so uh I wasn't that prepared to play the fifty one hundred game, but it was on stream, so I was like, okay, let's jump in there. But they do have some high stakes games and also some normal stake games. I mean some like more like five ten, ten twenty games, twenty-five fifty, but also some really high stakes games that they are streaming, and they are always gonna be, I mean, they're really always either PLO cash games or no limit holding tournaments when they stream.
1: Right. So where do you think this trend is leading us. What's what's the future like for PLO?
0: Well, I don't think anything happens overnight. I think that there are more people getting into PLO just naturally because No Limit dries up. And there are two options. Number one, you are moving from NL cash into NL tournaments. Or you move from NL cash into PLO cash. I mean, there's a third option, which is you stop playing poker, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, there's a fourth transition, which is you go into the live circuit. Uh, which is also possible, but in there you would also have to pick between NL tournaments and PLO cash. Uh, so so that's, I think that those are the options for NL cash players at the moment. Maybe there is some some mixed game as well happening, but very few people would have access to enough games to actually justify that, or have the bankroll to play those those games. So I do see that people are venturing either into tournaments or in PLO cash. Twitch, you can tell, tournaments are being pushed very hard. The issue though with tournaments is obviously that you it's a huge time commitment. Every time you sit down, you have to plan ahead for four, five, six, seven hours, maybe even more. And um, as the average age is growing in the poker market, uh, there are going to be less and less people willing to sacrifice this much time. Which means if you're 21 years old, you don't mind playing tournaments for a living because it's all about poker but as you grow older and you become 30 35 you have a family you have other obligations you just don't want to sit down on a saturday and be like all right today i'll play poker and i'm going to be gone for the next you know 10 10 hours or whatever like that's not very that's not very practical and and i think that is really what takes away that's the biggest downside of tournaments essentially
2: mm-hmm. yeah i agree and i also feel like most players i talk to that have been playing more than 10 years or let's say more than 5 years like almost all of them prefer cash games over tournaments long term i mean of course they the occasionals still uh, want to play a live tournament but uh, the bread and butter game is still cash game
0: for sure you want less variance you want more flexibility you also want to have like one of the things I've been considering is a really good skill set to have if you want to play live is if you know how to beat no limit tournaments, and you know how to play PLO cash, because then at the venues, you could take the soft tournaments with you and play the main events. But at the same time, you can jump into some juicy live cash games and PLO and have basically the best of both worlds. I think that's a very attractive uh, combination for a lot of people that consider consider their future in poker and uh, are willing to put a lot of time down.
2: Yeah, it's funny because that was exactly my approach. Or still is. Mm. Well, tell us more. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I played a lot of live tournaments in the last years, but uh, I want to play more online because I just prefer playing online. And as you said before, it's just I feel like every time I go to the Bellagio or... The king's room at the uh, rio i always feel like the plo games are just so much better and not only you know this year but uh, for the last five years or so so uh, that's one of the reasons why i transitioned to to plo because i just feel like the games are better and i also think that tournaments are always going to be soft but there's also this big downside to tournaments that there's a lot of variance. and you know you, you always have to travel and all the the costs like flights and hotels and stuff. And also I just don't in, enjoy it that much anymore because in life tournaments, a lot of times, you know, you just know what you have to do with 10 big blinds and it's just push or fold and it can be quite boring. And it's maybe exciting when you're like 22 23 but then after a while it's just yeah i mean as i said it's sometimes it can be boring Hmm. especially without a shot clock yeah
0: i mean it's also like you work on your game really hard but then you sit that like you're sitting down in some live tournament you have 10 bait plants and you're thinking well where's my edge like i'm just waiting here in order to realize no edge or almost no edge in the game and that's what I've been working for. But it's just the reality sometimes of, of shallow poker, of course, that the edges are very thin. Mm. And um, yeah, again, I think we got to stay flexible as, as professionals and, and think about trends. I think that's actually a very smart thing to do. I do get this question a lot. What should I do in the future? What game should I pick up on? And, and one thing is certainly trends. But another thing is also to think about where you have the most fun. Like The lifestyle of a live player versus an online player the, the lifestyle of a cash player versus a tournament player is so different that I, I would also consider this for sure.
2: So what do you think about new games like 7 plus Holden?
0: Wait, what is 7 plus Holden? What am I missing? Um, I think, I think it's, it's, it's a shorter. 6 plus Holden,
1: but uh, six plus. <laughs> yeah. oh. the so Toby's is to the way level. ahead of the curve. This game oh, that you geez. just mentioned, nobody's playing it yet. <laughs> <laughs> No, but actually, I soon it's going to be sometimes... just Jack plus Hold'em.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just reading in the comment like, coffee attacks as Jinan is ahead of the curve, and suddenly Toby comes around with seven plus Hold'em. I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the way ahead. So embarrassing. Ahead.
2: ahead of time. <laughs> I mean, you're making fun of me, but actually, I heard that there are different rules. Like, seven plus Hold'em uh, or six plus Hold'em is a little different on, on Poker Stars than it yeah. is on iPoker. For example
0: yeah there's basically the rule where like a flush right like a flush beats um a full house and then there's like a mix between like a straight versus um like the value of a straight i think versus a set i think i'm not sure but those could be replaced essentially and that would that would that would like there are two variations where um two made hand values would exchange essentially like one would be ahead of the other and then the other way around and six plus hold them yeah i don't but i don't really think six plus holdem is going to be an upcoming trend or anything because first of all the the game in itself is not very complex when it comes to solving it which is a huge issue these days because you can just build a solver and just solve it and that's it and and also we haven't really seen a lot of like we haven't seen anyone being excited that that is really jumping on it apart from very high stakes players and i think the reason they're excited is because they get to play against really high stakes fish but we haven't really seen any like huge coverage on Twitch or in TV poker where you know, everyone was like, we need to make this game bigger. We need to double down on six plus um, F hold them FPLO. Let's play six plus only like we haven't really seen that level of interest. And, and I don't think it will. I think the lifespan of the game is uh, is not very large apart from this
1: small demographic that is playing it at the very highest stake. Hmm. And it's a very good point that you mentioned that the high-stakes players want to play against the high-stakes fish. Because, of course, in a game like this, as you described, it's easy to solve, relatively easy to solve. And once it's solved, it's pretty easy to memorize, in a way. So it lends itself to like the situation where the fish are actually losing so much and so quickly. Because mm-hmm. your edge is just insane, right? And that's the same reason why... These weird games come up in Vegas every summer, right? Every summer you go and you check the mixed games, uh, the high-stakes table, and there's going to be at least one game, which they of course always claim, "Oh, we just invented it last week," uh, and yeah. never mind that they've been, uh, you know, trying to solve it for like nine months leading up to the, <laughs> the new summer, you know. And every summer is the same, and I'm, I'm thinking like. Who is buying this bullshit? Like, who actually thinks like, oh, really? Yeah, you created this game last week. (laughs) This sounds like a good game. Let's play. You know, every summer the same thing. So it's an oldest trick in the book. And uh, I I feel like 6 Plus Hold'em fits that category, right? Because, again, like if we compare to a game like PLO, there are solvers in PLO. And then good luck, basically. Yeah right you have a solver well okay off you go right six plus hold them you have a good solver you have a good team that kind of condenses the material for you and uh, yeah you're going to be crushing but that's the problem it's relatively easy to achieve very high level of play so eventually you come to a situation where it's just not profitable to play because uh, you know the the house always wins in this kind of situation Anyway, guys, we have about half an hour left, and I really want to address one point which we sort of glossed over, because um, I'm really interested. I remember uh, when, when uh, Jay Nandez was in the chat last last week on the show, uh, you've wrote an interesting thing that basically playing poker without streaming is not so much fun for you anymore. Uh, and I thought like, oh, wow, it's interesting. and But of course, understandable. I want to know what changed in your life once you started to create uh, content for people, once you started your business. How do you view poker differently on a personal level?
0: I think that in general, people really enjoy doing things they're good at and they don't enjoy doing things they're not good at. And once you discover something you're good at, you want to do it more and more, basically. And and I think that's also probably one of the reasons why some people are not necessarily as happy in their profession. It is because they're not that good at it and they struggle. And no one wants to really struggle. You want to thrive. You want to like progress. And once you find the right intersection of things that uh, sort of underlie your, your natural strengths already, you progress really quick. So when I'm streaming and playing poker and creating content and also leading a company, that all sort of, builds around my already existing talents and interests. And that means for me, for example, being in poker without building a business in poker and leading a team is not as fun anymore because I'm combining, Like I, I'm, I'm basically having the same, which is one element is poker, but now I can add other elements to it that I'm, also, that I'm strong at and that I enjoy doing. And I can combine the experience together. And the same thing is true with streaming poker. Like I think I am a good streamer. I enjoy streaming. I, feel, I don't feel nervous streaming. I feel very much in my element. And I enjoy playing poker. And like the combination of both is just like two things I like doing at the same time. And it sort of makes it amazing. Like it's just an amazing experience, essentially. And then when I take one away from it, it's like, all right, I'm doing that one thing that I'm pretty good at, but the intersection, I'm like great at. And I would rather do the thing I'm great at, where I really have a lot of fun instead of doing the things that I enjoy, but it's not on the same level of enjoyment as uh, as combining things together, so i I basically have built a business you can say a profession around the things that I enjoy the most around the things that I feel like I'm most talented for, and brought in other people into the equation to back me up on 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 things that I'm not as strong as and that I don't enjoy doing so so I can say that most people when they when they think about my day to day I'm 100% convinced they think I'm like this extremely well planned out and like very disciplined person. But it's actually not true. Like I am, although I'm getting a lot of stuff done, I am completely in my comfort zone here. Like what I'm doing, I produced 500 videos in the last two years in my comfort zone. And the reason is because I'm doing things I'm naturally good at. And if if I find some element that I'm not good at or don't enjoy doing, I'm trying to find the person that can help me out and back me up. And that is also the reason why J9S Poker at the moment has 10 people in it. We are 10 people working together because I'm not good at it, at all the things. I'm mean, in fact, I suck at most things in life, just generally speaking, but I'm good at a few things and I do those things every day. I'm in my comfort zone I, in, in a positive way. So I actually have a very comfortable and
1: enjoyable life because I'm doing the things I enjoy. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I can totally relate to this as well, in a way that what we're doing in Bluff the Spot is really similar. In a way that we have a team that handles so many things, because as with any business, you know, there's you need the support, you need uh, never mind the accounting and all that stuff, right? But just a lot of people who do the things that I don't want to do, for example, or the other coaches don't want to do, and which frees us up to focus on the thing that we're supposed to be doing and the thing that we actually enjoy. Um, and yeah, that, that's, that's really cool that you found this way. And when did you actually realize that, hey, this is what I'm gonna be doing? There must've been, like, how did you start actually? It must've been not overnight. At some point you should you were like you probably realized, hey, you know what? I'm gonna be doing this. I'm gonna be creating content. I'm gonna make a business out of it. Do you remember how it happened? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's actually similar to the
0: it's similar to the progression of a young of a lot of young males in my in following generation. So I'm I'm gonna draw a little bit of an analogy, which is maybe a little bit far fetched, but maybe it isn't. Um, but I've spoken recently to a friend of mine, actually to actually don't want to name him because maybe it's a little bit embarrassing, but probably isn't. But I'm, I spoke to a friend of mine and he talked about how he went to this pickup meeting in his early 20s. So basically it's like a a lot of males, they especially when they lack of self-identity and when they when they lack self-identity and understanding of who they actually are and who they want to be, let's put it this way, they get into this. They, they're trying to find a vehicle in order to discover them, their true selves or at least to have some success. And it usually starts when you are in the early 20s with women. So you're trying to have success with women and, and, and men who don't at this very moment, they sometimes uh, head into like a pickup group and they're trying to like establish confidence and competence and like having techniques in order to talk with women and whatnot. But then what happens oftentimes uh, for the better is that these guys realize, well, uh, I do enjoy self-improvement but this whole pickup thing is a little bit um not real like it's trying to make something out of me i'm not but what i did enjoy and came out of it is to understand that i want to improve so then they get into this improvement field so the self-improvement is a huge industry and i myself i i i started more like in the self-improvement section it was very appealing to me to think about progression as an individual and thinking all right like i I can actually become better and I can push myself and I and I can fulfill my potential. But the 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 danger here is that there are a lot of companies that are trying to sell you self-improvement. And they're gonna tell you what you need to be and how you need to be in order to be a self-improved person. They're gonna tell you you need the money, you need the discipline, you need, you know, you need the perfect food and the and the cold showers and you need to like sleep, I don't know, from X to Y and have this sort of lifestyle and work out eight times a week and so on. And although these individual things are helpful, um, what they're not is they're not individually adjusted to who you actually are. So as a normal progression, you start to... And I started to learn more about who I actually am and, and that I don't need to be what someone else tells me to be. And at some point, you develop this confidence in... In understanding actually who you are, and that brings you more into this comfort zone where you are still progressing, but you're progressing in a much more authentic and, and natural way instead of putting a lot of pressure and 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 external goals and expectations on your shoulders. So when I got into business the first time. I had like all these expectations from other people like, Hey, this is success. This is how you build a business. This is why you build a business. This is the goal of a business. For example, maximizing money. You should be working hard. Like, You should be doing this. You should be doing why. And first, I believed it because I wasn't really competent and also not confident in who I actually am in the business space. But then once you progress further and further, you realize, actually, I can do, make my own decisions and I don't want to... I don't need to, for example, read 50 books a year. Like, I could be that guy... And so, for some people, this works well, but not for me. So I have actually, which is kind of embarrassing, I have 200 physical books in the room I'm in right now, but I have read like 10. But I'm not a dumb person, you know. Like I consume information differently. I listen to podcasts, I watch videos, and um, I, I have conversations with people that read books, and that's the way I learn. And it took me years to actually accept that and understand that I can just be myself, and that is. Great and progress in a natural way that suits my strengths and abilities, and remain sane and happy that way without having to fulfill any expectations of how someone else views success. And that is basically how I progressed from being a poker player to who I am today, with all the phases in between where, you know, I was myself in some ways, but also in some ways I wasn't. Right.
2: Well, wow. it almost feels like uh, when you were only a poker player that there was something missing that it was a good way to make money and that you had fun, but uh, it just wasn't enough. Is, is that true?
0: I like to think of life as in seasons, you know? So sometime, like for example, in my early 20s, maybe it was perfect to just have poker because it is also a great vehicle to develop yourself and learn more about your weaknesses and strengths. For example, when you become a professional poker player in your 20s, you, know, you have to learn a lot about self-responsibility and motivation and, and be, being professional. And I learned a lot about that. I, I can motivate myself to do the things that I need to do because I became a poker player in my early 20s and I put everything on one card. You know, I quit my studies and I had no job, I had no education, but I was confident that I can actually do this and improve by myself for the next years. So that is what it teaches you. But then as you grow older and older, you realize, okay, maybe I wanna take it to a different direction and a different direction and, and grow as an individual. And because I do have a lot of friends that are much older than me, uh, I, they see in myself sometimes better who I am in five years than myself. And I, I listen to their advice and they, they oftentimes guide me in the right direction essentially.
2: It's very interesting. Uh, you talk about, you, you talk a lot about your older friends and it seems like they're role models to you and maybe also kind of mentors. And so yep. the question is, where did you meet them? How did you find them? And yeah. yeah, that's a,
0: that's a great question. I think that um, a lot of the people in my life, I sort of attracted by being more public and but the issue with that is that if you attract people to your, to your online, per, to your public persona, you oftentimes not necessarily attract the people that can actually disagree with you, but more like followers. And, and usually when you have friends that are 50, and they are... When you have friends that are older than you, they have an easier time disagreeing with you. And giving you their honest opinion because they don't have anything to prove. Like my friends, they don't have anything to prove to me because they know that I respect them for who they are and not necessarily for I don't know trying to be someone they are not. And so that's one way I attracted some of those guys. Um, but also, for example, my accountant is uh, my accountant is uh, close to he's, he's like close to sixty, and we have at the moment once a week a conversation. Um, it started out as being like a paid conversation because I needed business, business strategy advice. But it turned into more of a, you know, you can say like mentor friendship type of thing where he he tells me, hey, I really appreciate that you actually listen to the things I'm telling you and you're progressing and you're growing and you're taking advantage of it and you're becoming happier with every conversation we have. And he gets something out of it and I get something out of it. So uh I think you attract those people somehow into your life and but sometimes it, it happens through a professional frame or it happens through, you know, like oftentimes it was like I was trying to find someone that can help me with certain things, for example, accounting. And then we started talking about other things. And suddenly we talk about, I don't know, what should I be doing with my in my private life? Where should I move? Or or how should I behave in, in this and in this situation? So I think you need to keep an open ear to people that you respect and and if you do that and they they see that you actually integrate their their advice into your own life,
1: it starts to become like a fruitful um, relationship. right very interesting, very interesting and that got me thinking about uh, you know I have a a few friends. Uh, one of my closest friends actually is, uh, yeah, he's, he's turning 50. And I could, t- when you were describing, I can totally see how, you know, conversations with him really motivated me uh, many times and really show, show, showed me sort of another perspective of, on things. And on top of that, I want to also mention that sometimes it's so important to actually have a perspective from a person who is in a completely different uh business in a completely different walk of life than you because you know it's from those moments of an outside perspective that you sometimes can gain uh, the biggest insights you know and it generally applies to all of life but uh even in poker if we think about it like some of the biggest insights i had personally in my poker career were triggered by some outside event by some book not related to poker that i've read or by some conversation that i had unrelated to poker but then you know you have this aha moment because it's too easy to sort of always be in the same group um of people who are doing the same profession the same old things everybody sort of doing the same thing similar ways you're not really getting any synergy of opinions there you're not really growing together as a group so having these outside influences is so hugely important and it's it's so interesting to hear that you know it, it played quite a big role in your life as i understand
0: Sometimes it's just one sentence, as you say, that sort of clicks and hits home that you need to hear. And it has oftentimes nothing to do with poker or your profession or not even with your specific situation. But suddenly you start thinking more and more about it and suddenly it applies. And then it is a huge shifting point in your life. And that's like one of those ideas that I take with me until today is the idea of the seasons of life, which I just mentioned briefly before, which is that... Sometimes I'm extremely productive for like three months. And then sometimes I'm not very productive, or at least it seems like on the surface level for like a month or something like that. And I think a lot of people guilt themselves into feeling terrible about it. I completely don't because I know that this is part of my life. And if I would start to break the cycle and if I would just start to force myself into a always on top of things, sort of productive, focused mind... I wouldn't be happy because that's just not me. Like I need to have off time. I need to have different seasons where sometimes I'm excited, sometimes I'm in this mood, sometimes I'm in that mood, and and that makes also life interesting to actually experience different seasons of life. Sometimes a productive season can go two years. Sometimes it goes a week, and accepting that and not being judgmental about it is extremely powerful. And you will see that a lot of people, um, a lot of a lot of. People are either judgment... They they are starting to be judgmental about you, the way you perceive something. For example, career, life, relationships. And that's oftentimes because they're very judgmental to themselves. And I think if you want to be less judgmental, which is very important uh, with other people, you have to start, first of all, giving up on your judgment on your own life and your own decisions. And just be like, all right, today, I don't really... like." Today I don't really feel like doing this because I don't think it's great for me overall so I'm going to skip on it. Sometimes you're going to say no, I'm actually going to force myself to do it because right now I think this is a good decision for me overall. And just think a little bit more deeply about what is good for you in the overall sense, not just monetarily or hourly or your body or your fitness level or whatever it could be, but more just like holistically. And then being okay with that with that choice without guilting yourself into having to be this Instagram lifestyle type personality that you hope and expect yourself to be, which is completely unrealistic.
1: Hmm. Wow. Yeah, this is some really good stuff, man. It's really, really great advice. And, um, you know, some things that I've been hearing... Uh, throughout this conversation, I think are worth repeating uh, and pointing out, you know, you've mentioned several times how important it is to be um, non-judgmental with yourself, but also how important it is to not care so much about the outside opinion of finding your own way and going for it, not because somebody thinks you should, not because somebody praises you for that, not because somebody, you know, gives you a stick for that, just for your own reasons and just being comfortable with yourself, with your with your own decisions, uh, that seems like the perfect way for me. I mean, and I suppose for you as well and most likely for a lot of people, most people probably doesn't fit all, but, you know, and this is one thing that for poker players, I think, wouldn't that be great if more and more poker players sort of achieved this type of state of mind right because we have all the tools we have the time which is not fixed to any schedules you're free to do as you please and with that basically comes so much freedom of molding your life and molding your routines and goals into whatever you want it to be and that's the key to whatever you want it to be instead of, you know, what the outside pressure is telling you to do or some social influences, etc., etc. And I think you've repeated it a few times how, how important these things are. So, yeah, I just wanted to reiterate that because I think it's such a timeless advice and b- what, what great ideas.
2: Yeah, I also have to say that I'm enjoying this podcast a lot because, you know, most of the stuff, you know, subconsciously, But even then, it's always great to get the reminder. And uh, I mean, even now, I'm um, thinking a lot about all you said. And I'm thinking for myself. I mean, I'm the same way. Like, I read books from time to time. But I guess for almost anybody, it's better to just have a mentor and, you know, actively seek out for somebody that can teach you something. And uh, I think we as poker players are uh, already pretty good at not caring too much about what others uh, think and uh, yeah i I just really enjoy the the lifestyle and the freedom of being a poker player and
0: And there there are like a lot of like you guys stepping into the content creation space i think the best thing you guys can do is to just be as Honest as possible, which is difficult because there is a lot of judgment out there, you know. But for example, like a few years ago, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say something like, "Hey, I watch like every day two hours of Netflix," but it's true, you know. But yeah, I'm also running a company with ten people, you know. It can be also done both, especially if you share some of the uh, responsibilities and you are in a great team. But people are so judgmental. that when you tell them about your quote unquote, unproductive times, they, they, they sort of become mad about it because they had this perfect image, again, of what success looks like and why they are not there because they're not working 14 hours a day and they have too much fun in their life. Uh, but if we just disregard all this judgment, and we just are honest, I think we would do way better, uh, not only in the poker industry, but everywhere. I can see the same thing with Phil. It's like, hey, Phil is losing, okay, but people are judgmental about if he would have a a, not an edge, you know. But I mean, it's just poker, you know. Like, doesn't take anything away from himself whether he has an edge or he doesn't have an edge. It doesn't change a single thing, and it just shows like how these these false perceptions of people are leading to a world view that is very unrealistic and and i think that's sort of the threat of the of the future that people are presenting themselves in the best light without being real and i just i just can't stand that and that's why for example yesterday i was streaming with fabian and he was Like we were streaming until 5am and having conversations. I was not studying. I was not playing myself. We just had a good conversation. And the reason I did that is because it's my life and I want to enjoy it. And it doesn't matter if someone thinks this is productive or it isn't. If I want to download a video game and play it, I'll do that. And I think that everyone should have the freedom to do that without being tricked into some judgmental trap in life, essentially. And, And I think some people are quite far away from that. And if we are all more honest, and more real and more vulnerable as well, then we invite other people to be less judgmental, not only about us, but also about themselves and allow themselves to have a happier life overall without being stressed about why am I not making, I don't know, $500,000 a year. Like you probably don't even need to do it. Why don't you just enjoy
1: your life? You know, and like that's, that's where we need to go. Mm, what great advice. And also just thinking about what you did, um, with your life you know it's just such an inspiring story and then definitely like this thing about being honest being yourself there is what makes you you know a great content creator that you are because for most poker players or for most anyone you know to go out publicly and start something that's gonna definitely get a lot of criticism for various reasons. And you know that it's gonna, like, whatever you do, it's always gonna attract some attention. And despite of that, still to go out and do the work, you know, that's admirable. And by the way, guys, I really want us to enjoy this comment from Ponyball, who said, poker players can live like they have the fuck you money before they got it. (laughs) It's so
0: true. (laughs) 100%,
1: 100%. This is just beautiful, man yeah wow
2: i mean that's also how i got into poker it wasn't like you know i wanted to earn money or because i wanted to be busy or something i just enjoyed the game and i just started to play so uh, that's exactly what i did
1: well, that's I the way to go I for it to. You mean know, i think most of us probably everybody got into poker at one point because we just thought it's it's going to be fun, All right? And same, to be honest, like with this podcast that we're doing, that was the only reason we started it. I thought, hmm, sounds like fun. We could do it. And it is. You know, I'm enjoying today's conversation so much. You know what? The surprising thing for me is... These conversations are so valuable. We're having a two-hour conversation every week with different people. And it seems like, isn't it so productive? Especially when you have people that, you know, have things to tell you that you don't already know. And everybody has some things to tell you that you don't already know. It's just kind of sad that sometimes you need this media. You need you know a sort of well right now we have the scheduled podcast to get the opportunity to go out and talk to people in a meaningful way in a sort of captive environment where we're all sort of stuck for um, a period of two hours and we talk and it's always so useful i just hope you know that for people who don't have the opportunity to let's say do a podcast or, or something like that. Just find somebody to have meaningful, long form conversations with. It's just so useful and there's no substitute for that. You know, unfortunately in a modern society, people probably gonna think you're weird if you, if you call some, like if you call your friend and you say, hey, do you wanna talk with me for two hours? I'll be like, uh, what just happened, <laughs> right? This is a huge point by the way
0: like last year was the first year ever in my life where I started to set up uh, and schedule conversations with friends of mine especially now that I don't have as many friends that live close by to me because the poker world is obviously all over the all over the, the globe essentially I I I'm now uh, turning uh, 33 and I have friends that are between 30 and 50 and they enjoy conversations like deep conversations it is so difficult to actually build an extremely close relationship with someone without having these kinds of conversations. And and it just doesn't happen these days anymore that, you know, one guy calls another guy and it's like, hey, let's have a conversation here for like, do you have like two hours or something like that? It just doesn't happen these days. And and I started last year to schedule these kinds of calls. And there's no objective, there's no goal other than just let's connect. And we need one, two hours to really connect deeply about just talk about life and have no productive objective even. Just let's talk about what's happening on your end, what's happening on my end. And I have these days, I would say probably like a handful of friends that I have that sort of relationship to. None of them live close by to me, but we do have regular calls that go one, two, sometimes three hours. Uh, some, of, some of them, for example, with Fabian, are on, on the stream. But also what people probably don't know is I also talk with Fabian for hours off stream. Just like we just talk about stuff, and that just doesn't come along anymore these days very often people rather spend like another hour on youtube or on instagram and just listen to a conversation but you will find not everyone in your environment is open for a long form conversation but more of them would be than you would think and more of them would actually are actually looking for a relationship like that and that's actually one of the things that i've realized in coaching people is that people are desperate to find someone that actually is listening to them for an hour and just listens to what's happening in their life and wants to hear who they are and what they're all about. And, and I think that is something that can increase your happiness level incredibly. And also you're, your, like you feel like you're contributing in some way because you, someone shares all, all their emotions and all their feelings and their struggles and their good times and bad times with you. And you have that like, two, three times in your life, like that is an amazing thing to build up. And that's something I would advise everyone out there to trying to build up, even if you don't obviously have a podcast, but just trying to get that level of relationship in your life. It's hugely beneficial.
1: Absolutely. yeah.
2: That's Mm -hmm. also what I like about this format is is that it's a real conversation. You know, sometimes you got to think about what you want to say, and it's a little slower, but you know, no, there's so much stuff out there. It's just highlight shows or the five biggest parts or the five most spectacular things or something. But uh, I think it's just not real sometimes. And sometimes I just enjoy like a real conversation or even listening to a real conversation. It's also where I, I like the, the Rogan podcast, for example
1: oh yeah absolutely especially because you don't know where it's gonna lead you you know because nothing is scripted nothing is even with rogan right bringing up rogan and by the way of course a wonderful podcast but even with rogan you feel the difference when he has somebody who comes in there to do the publicity for a movie or something and that's always like a one-hour podcast they're on schedule just let's quickly get the things done and sure we're talking about things but it Rarely happens that he actually connects uh, into something super interesting with that guest in one hour. Whereas the conversations which he's having for two hours, three hours, you know, they go into weird places and you hear things that, you know, you didn't think exist. Absolutely. And I think that there are so many things that
0: people share with no one, like not a single person. That would be extremely valuable to share, to hear, to discuss, to talk about. But um, you just can't get into it in 10 minutes. You know, like it's not, there are a lot of topics that are not 10-minute conversation topics. You need time, you need, re- you need uh, trust, you need a strong relationship. And just keeping those things to yourself, it's just not going to
1: bring you to the same place of reflection and happiness as sharing them. Exactly. And even if we think about sharing things, you know, how often does it happen when you don't even know you've said something that somebody out there finds incredibly insightful? Because, you know, at different stages of your life, you keep talking about the seasons of your life. um, You know, different stages, you're going to have different priorities. You need different things. You need to hear different things. And it's just wonderful when i see for example the comments on on our two-hour podcasts people find different parts very interesting to them and as many viewers as we have there's going to be as many interesting parts you know somebody might find something boring and somebody might find the same thing uh, super insightful and the same goes for when you're just having a conversation And it's a long-form, free-form, you don't know what the listener actually needs to hear. You know, just because something is trivial to you, it doesn't mean that it's trivial to everyone. And especially, I believe, in poker coaching, uh, you've probably also felt the same way. That sometimes you would gloss over or briefly mention a point that seems just so trivial to yourself... And that actually is the key point for the student. That is actually the thing he really needed to hear. Yeah,
0: and that actually refers to Stuart Picks. Fabian who just joined the the conversation here oh, nice. by tuning in. Hey. So I also coached him and that that's how we got to know each other. And he told me just recently that we did some hours of coaching. and, and he sort of forgot about that, but it was he said like it was it was fine. But ahead of the coaching, I sent him a questionnaire. About where he, who he is, where he wants to go, what his goals are, what his mindset is—sort of those those really important questions in life—and he said that was way more helpful than anything else because suddenly there was a there was a reason for him to sit down and really think about those things and formulate them and put them into the world as well. So sometimes it's something trivial like, hey, let's do this, let's do this pre-up questionnaire, and then actually get into the gold and the coaching. But it's actually a different part that is important for different people at different stages.
2: Mm.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, like, again, because if we think about the example you've just mentioned of him having to sit down and fill the questionnaire, um, it brings me like... a few weeks ago we had the podcast with MMA Sherdog and I asked him well it was the beginning of the year and I asked him so what are your plans for the year did you make some goals etc cetera, etc cetera. and he said a thing that I think is hugely important to to remember He's, he said well you don't need the beginning or the end of the year to make your goals or to make your plans it's it's always there for you right which is true for him which is true for a lot of people But for some people, they need this trigger, even though it seems obvious that, of course, you should always be aware of your goals. Of course, you should always be updating them. Of course, of course, you need to know where you're heading in life. What are your objectives? uh, What's your sort of road that you chose? But sometimes we're just too busy being busy. And we don't actually do these things. We don't reflect. We don't take the time to sit down and sort of plan out our our journey. So, yeah, these triggers like the one that, you know, he had with your questionnaire, sometimes these are super important.
0: I think that conversation is the biggest trigger of reflection, of self-reflection in the first place. For, like, for example, my girlfriend, she's a, my girlfriend is a police officer. And she comes back home and always tells me like what happened. Obviously, like she has a lot of dramatic stuff that happens and and emotionally triggering stuff that happens. But her telling it, you know, and putting it out there and, and letting me know is her way of reflecting it. It's not it's, it's not even about what I'm saying. It's not even about my feedback. It's just about being able to put it into words makes you actually reflect on what happens. And sometimes a long form conversation like the one we have right now, triggers automatically the reflection that you need so desperately. And some people trigger it by looking at the, the calendar year and say, okay, it's the first of January, let's reflect on my life. Um, but if you do have long form conversations on a regular basis, you automatically get into reflection on, on a more frequent basis, which is
1: generally more useful than just once a year. Mm, absolutely. And that's the same reason why so many people find journaling uh, hugely appealing. Because it's obviously, especially people who do journaling every day, it's, it's a way of self-reflection on a, on a very personal level because you're writing a journal to yourself, about yourself. And uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. And again, I mean, it works for some people. It doesn't work for other people. And I'm sure some people might not. Find the idea of a of a long conversation with somebody too appealing. You know, people are different, but once you find what works for you, just go for it. Find your way, and you know, make the best out of it. Hundred percent. All right. Well, listen. What else? What would be like the last thing you want to tell everyone? What would be like? You know the thing that we can end this on. I think I think we should do this more often.
0: You know, I would. Uh, we already talked about it off uh, air. I would happily see you, obviously, in the um, the recap format and the Galphone challenge in the first place. But also, my biggest message here is I think that people in the poker world should come together more often, discuss, talk about poker things outside of poker in order to connect this community together. And uh, this is one form of it. And we should do that more often with all sorts of different people. And it's a great initiative on your end.
1: Right. Well, thank you. Yeah, first of all, thank you for the invite for uh, participating in the um, the highlight show for the Gelfand Challenge. I do believe it's a f- fantastic initiative and I'm definitely going to join you. Uh, and you said, let's do this more often. I absolutely agree. This was so much fun, man. And uh, I really like what you're saying about, you know, people need to connect around the topic of PLO or poker in general and, you know, work together. Because actually, funny thing is, you know, I I mentioned to you that a lot of people, uh, when I asked, like, who are the guests that you want to see on the podcast, a lot of people mentioned your name and they mentioned some other names like Ben CB and... uh, some more guys and then some people actually commented, but of course that's never gonna happen. And I thought to myself, "Uh, what do you mean? Of course it's gonna happen. Of course I'm gonna reach out to all of them. I don't see any reason not to, right? Because clearly if I'm sort of closing myself to, you know, cooperating or talking to other people who clearly achieved something great in this business, I'm just limiting my worldview, sort of. You know, I'm just putting myself into this box that I draw myself and isolate myself from some opportunities. And I, I think it's important for people to to realize that, you know what? Guarding your own secrets or protecting your own thing, it's all great, but you probably miss more by doing that. You know, because just by creating the synergies by getting new ideas, by connecting to people, everybody gains. You know, if everybody gains the whole field, the whole market grows, we're all better off.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And actually that's one of the things that surprised me the most when we started this podcast, because we asked a lot of guests and everybody just said, yes, I'm gonna come on the show. And it's just so different to the poker world. Because in the poker world, if you want to talk about strategy, like everybody's too afraid to give away too much to talk too much about strategy. And in in the whole uh, streaming and and podcast industry, I feel like it's the the opposite. Everybody just wants to help each other out. And uh, I think it's great. I really enjoy that.
1: Yeah, true. This sense of camaraderie and, uh, you know, it probably comes with the fact that, you know, to like for yourself, um, you already are streaming all the time and you're putting yourself out there. So you already crossed that line of putting yourself out there and just being honest, being who you are. So taking this extra step of joining a conversation like ours, that's not really a step. You already just, are, you are who you are and it's out there and uh, why not connect so it's great i'm super happy that we uh, managed to arrange it so quickly especially it went really smooth and uh, i really appreciate your time it was a wonderful conversation i I've definitely learned so much today and uh, a lot of things to reflect on and yeah we'll definitely stay in touch i'll, I'll be on your show Galphon challenge is still the biggest thing out there in the PLO world for the next few months for sure unless Phil burns out and I think he won't and uh, best of luck to Phil um yeah and guys by the way uh Arthur is gonna be streaming right after us so stay tuned uh, it's always entertaining he's he's playing some poker live um so if you're in for that just stay around and and he's going to be with you in a few minutes
0: well thanks for having me i really really enjoyed this conversation it's uh it's going to be one of the more memorable conversations for sure and i'm looking forward for the next episode that you guys are throwing up but also the next time we catch up awesome
2: thank you so much
1: yeah thank you and guys in the chat i saw that you know somebody was asking you We'll be able to see this episode on our Twitch channel here for a couple of weeks. And it's also going to be uploaded on the YouTube channel. And Robbie Expert, I believe, just put the link to it there. And it, so, yeah, it's going to be within the next couple of weeks out there. Keep an eye on that. You can watch the whole thing again. And we're going to also have timestamps in the description and you're going to be able to jump around the topics and, and find the things that you're mo- most interested in. All right. Um, Anyway, guys, thank you all and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to get a regular email from me personally where I share my key takeaways from each latest episode, go to runchexpodcast.com and subscribe to my newsletter. And of course, I would really appreciate if you subscribe to my channel on YouTube and rate my podcast on iTunes, Spotify or any other platform where you normally listen to your podcasts. This really helps.